Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. We are spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we ask if you like what we do here at Veritas, please be uh, be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. Share it with your friends. We're an EWTN affiliate, so we have all the EWTN programming, plus Bishop Caggiano, uh, Restless, Frontline with Joe and Joe, and much more. So we would encourage you to do that. And if you like what Joe and I do, we have our our uh, cultural commentary, political commentary, primarily can be found on social media at YouTube, the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. Uh, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Joe Resinello, this is going into the breach, this conversation, brother. Um, and you're going to understand that in about a second, everybody out there, because we're very pleased and honored to be joined today by Dr. Paul Thigpen. And Doc has written many books, okay? Uh, but this one that we're going to discuss, it's out from Tan Books. Uh, the title is Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. Are we alone in the universe with God and the angels. Now, some of you out there uh, know Dr. Paul Thigpen, but having said that, let me give a brief introduction. Uh, Dr. Thigpen is an internationally known speaker, best-selling author, award-winning journalist. He's published 60 books, including The Manual for Spiritual Warfare, The Rapture Trap, the uh, and extra, uh, the book we're discussing today, Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. In addition, he has published more than 500 journal and magazine articles in more than 40 religious and secular periodicals. His work's been circulated worldwide and translated into 16 languages. Now, Paul Thigpen graduated summa cum laude from Yale University with a BA in religious studies and received an MA and PhD in historical theology from Emory University. In 2008, he was appointed by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops to their National Advisory Council. He has also served the church as a university theology professor, historian, apologist, evangelist, and catechist. Formerly an ordained Protestant pastor, Paul entered the Catholic Church in 1993 with his wife, Lisa, and their two children. They recently celebrated their 43rd wedding anniversary, God bless them, and are enjoying their six grandchildren. Dr. Paul Thigpen, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Joe and Joe, what a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Paul, we always start with the prayer because God knows we need prayer, especially me. <laughs> In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. 
O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not a petition, spit in your clemency, hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy amen. Spirit, amen. Paul, I think a good place to start is what Joe, one of the things he noted in your bio, that you were once uh, a Protestant pastor. I'm always interested in how people uh, make that transition and cross the Tiber. What I have always found is is when people read the early church fathers, they always it always points to Rome. Was that uh, the method that you basically found Rome, or was there another way that was huge for me i'm actually twice a convert i like to say uh at the age of 12 i became an atheist and was that way for six years till, till i was 18 had a, a major conversion experience to the christian faith in general in part through spiritual warfare encounters is one reason why i've written about it since then um they convinced me there was something more than just matter and energy in the universe but then uh after being a protestant pastor and when i started my my doctoral program at emory University, uh, <clears throat> as you say, uh, what well as as many people have observed, Saint John Newman once said that to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant, and that's what happened to me. I, I started off with the Church Fathers, studying at the graduate level, and I began to see, oh my goodness, this this is the Church Jesus founded. This these these men who knew the apostles, they got their faith straight from the apostles, who got it straight from Jesus. They were Catholic. There's no way around it. And uh, a lot of what I had been taught informally about Catholic faith uh, just wasn't true. So that uh, took, took several years, and it took a while for my wife to come to the same place because she wasn't, didn't have the luxury of reading the Church Fathers. But, but yes, it was history that did it uh, primarily. Uh, also, some great Catholic friends and certain things. I would hear an Ave Maria sung, and it would just pierce my heart. There was a sweetness in that. I thought, yeah, that reminds me of my mother, whom <laughs> I love dearly, and uh, certain things that would even beyond my mind. You know, it wasn't just that my mind was being converted, but my heart was as well. You know what it is too. I mean, clearly, you know, you know, you're a smart guy. You know, and it it doesn't matter though, because a lot of times it's it's the will. People hear mm -hmm. things. There's a lot of smart people out there who are Protestants that don't convert. I mean, I attribute it, you know, like one could listen to your voice and they could say, oh, he's a smart guy. He read some esoteric, you know, uh, early church father that you're humble. You know what I'm saying? It, it's a big step. Like we've interviewed a lot of people who've made that jump. Um, John Bergsma is is one that comes to mind. Uh, you know, you, you have a, a group of friends. You have a life in that circle and you walk away from that in some ways that sometimes those people turn their back on you. Uh, I, I, I bring that up because I think that's important. You know what I mean? It's not like just changing your socks, you know, like it, it's a lifestyle change. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there's, I did lose most of my contacts in the publishing world. They were Protestant and, you know, people were my friends, but they just said, oh, you're openly Catholic. We can't publish that. So, um, but that's okay. Of course, it was <clears throat> the pearl of great price. Once I discovered it, said, okay, if I have to go out and sell everything I have to buy the field that this pearl is in, I'm going to do it. And I've never, never looked back. My wife did come in, my kids as well. And um, uh, it's just such a great gift that God gave us. Absolutely. Dr. Paul Thigpen is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rissino on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, and thank you for that, Paul, because it, because we want, I, I'm fascinated many times, uh, like Joe mentioned, when we talk to people, and plus in our own personal lives, people who have made that leap 
to the Catholic Church from either atheism. You said you were an atheist in, in your teenage years. I know many atheists, uh, lapsed Catholics, many of them. Um, I'm fascinated by that, but mostly because I'm fascinated by the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I really am. Um, now, the book that we're discussing today, talk about going into the breach, Joe. Uh, extra extraterrestrial intelligence in the Catholic faith. Are we alone in the universe with God and angels? That is uh, Dr. Paul Thigpen's new book out from Tan Book. So why write a book on this topic and why now it's a great question the uh, the first part it's kind of funny uh, another recent interview i had with call-ins and someone called in and said why would a catholic radio station be talking about this subject and uh, you know one way to re reply is that well you know when you learn the history of this conversation about extraterrestrial intelligence you find out that there were saints and popes and bishops, cardinals, all kinds of folks who talked about this subject that, like everything, if uh, if there's some possibility of it, we need to know how it fits into our Catholic faith. And um, so it is, it's a very important subject. The conversation has been going on all the way back to the time of Jesus and before uh, about the possibility of extraterrestrial intelligence. But why now? That's, you know, that's a great question. I uh, have been interested in this ever since my teenage years. Um, when I became Christian, I started wondering how would this fit into my, if it's real, how would it fit into my Christian faith? When I became Catholic, well, how does it fit into what I know from my Catholic faith? And uh, thought for years I needed to to write it. Uh, but always more pressing subjects, other things coming along. About seven or eight years ago, uh, Connor Gallagher, a dear friend who's also the, the publisher, uh, CEO at uh, Tan Books, I was with him on an editorial retreat. We're walking out on the beach, as a Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, and and I don't know, I saw something pass overhead or something, you know, it was the night sky. And it's like, Connor, you're going to think I need a tinfoil hat, but I really want to write someday a book about extraterrestrial intelligence and the Catholic faith. And he looked me straight in the eye and said, do it, write it, I'll publish it. That was like eight years ago and just didn't seem to have time, so many other things going on. Uh, but then a, a few years ago, um, a piece came out in the New York Times, which uh, you know I have a lot of problems with, but it's still considered in many ways for spectacle journalism, uh, where they're talking about uh, some things that have been, been uncovered. It was basically an expose that uh, UFOs in particular had, um, that the government had denied for so many years existed and said they weren't interested in it, didn't have any study of it. Well, sure enough, turns out they, they had a secret program going on, black budget program that we were financing and um, that all kinds of things were going on. They began to show videos uh, taken from uh, from military sources of, of things out there that would be hard to account for by the laws of physics, as we know. Them. And that that effort, you know, it finally began to get some attention. I realized, OK, if I'm ever going to write about it, this is the time because this is going to progress. And it has. I mean, we had congressional hearings uh, back in May and are going to have some more. I'm, I'm confident. Um, and the main reason for it is is this, and this is the you know the Catholic part of it. It's not just it's not a book about UFOs. I have an appendix at the end. They wanted me to write about UFOs, but um, it's a book about uh, the, this situation. If we should have some kind of disclosure by the government or discovery by scientists or something else that there is intelligent life beyond our planet, um, how would faithful Catholics accommodate that? Because you have people, and you have for centuries, who claim that. If, if extraterrestrial intelligence exists, that it somehow uh, undermines or disproves the Christian faith, and particularly the Catholic faith, that we can't, could not accommodate that into, into our beliefs. 
And, you know, the point of the book is, sure we can. <laughs> sure we can. Same way we incorporated, incorporated the, you know, the, the discovery that the, the earth was the center of the universe. Um, there are plenty of things we can, and, and it takes some understanding of scripture and tradition. But uh, so the book starts with the history of that conversation uh, all the way back to the, the ancient Greek philosophers, but then with the early church fathers and shows that, yeah, this is something that Christian and, and specifically Catholic theologians have thought about for centuries. And uh, and it didn't disturb their faith. They no, there there are ways that we can account for this. Let me let me ask a question, uh, Doctor Paul Thigpen, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, this may sound like a dopey question, but it just something popped into my head. You said you see an object that defies the laws of physics, but, but logically speaking, though, but then any intelligent life or any intelligent life form, let's say it was a UFO, and we'll want you to define what what we mean by that in a second. But then, doesn't it suggest that it's something different it doesn't it wouldn't any intelligent life form that might appear near our planet okay wouldn't it also have to conform to the laws of physics or am i missing something there maybe i should have said law laws of physics as we know them okay and All that's right. that's part of what we're discovering when you look at uh quantum uh theory and physics and and astrophysics uh, physics you're you're finding that boy the, the cutting edge science is is demonstrating that there could be that there are possibilities for tech you know something millions of light years away could get here uh and could move in such a way that it seems to seems to defy the, defy the law of physics but part of what that means and it's the same thing i meant with copernicus and his revolution you know the earth is not at the center of the universe is that it means our physics is not sufficient and we've got to find out there uh that if they're doing it they're not breaking the laws of physics they're just Either we misunderstand the laws of physics or the laws we don't know about. And uh, and so it's, it's again, the main point is that we really are on the edge. It's, uh, it's a gathering movement of discovering more things. Scientists are finally taking it seriously. I don't know when the press is going to finally take it seriously, journal, journalism. But uh, where there could be things coming out where Christians and Catholics in particular are going to say, wow, if that's true, what does that mean for my faith? I'd like to be able to put this book in their hands and say, here's what it means and what it can mean. We have questions to ask, things to learn, but it certainly does not undermine or disprove the Christian faith. Well, you know, as thank you were saying oh, that please. real quick, Joe, I just want to make sure everybody knows Paul just mentioned his book, the book we're discussing right now, Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. Are we alone in the universe with God and angels? That's out from Tan Books. The author is with us today, Dr. Paul Thigpen, Joe Racinello. You know, as you were saying that, what I was thinking of, like, God is so much bigger than we are. And I sometimes think we try to put him in a box. You know what I'm saying? Like, and this yeah. is kind of what I think you're getting at. God is bigger than we can ever imagine. You know, let's talk a little bit about that, because I think, you know, sometimes, you know, clearly, you know, I'll speak for me. You know, I think I figured it all out. You know what I'm saying? I'm Catholic. I, I know the teachings of the church. Um, you know, but at the same time, I don't understand the mind of God. I don't know how he moves and works. I know he works through the church, but you know what I'm trying to say. I think that's an important foundational conversation to this. I think sometimes people try to put him in a box and say, oh, that can't happen. Well, well how do you know? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah. yeah. Please talk to that because I think that I do that, and that's why I bring it up. It is so important, Joe. It's it's one of the themes of the book. If you were to say what's a theme of the book, I'd say humility. It's uh, 
that we need a sense of wonder when we're talking about things like this. And I define wonder as humility in the face of mystery, things that we don't understand rather than trying to claim, oh, we can figure that out and put it in the box. And of course, God is beyond all that uh, mystery in so many ways. And so it's, uh, you know, the, one of the principles that people have argued in the past for this thing is the, what they call the, the principle of plenitude, of fullness, that God is so creative and so powerful that he, he, he just look at our world. He loves to fill things with life and with, with other kinds of things. And um, and that seems to be part of his nature to be creative that way. And uh, they have to take seriously some of the um, some of the arguments that people will have that will have raised about how you know how they think it would contradict our faith. And some of them are, are kind of easy to to kind of to reply to. So, for instance, you have uh, some folks, critics of the faith, and even some Christians who'd say it's not in the Bible, therefore it can't exist. And, you know, reply to that is, well, microbes and dinosaurs and molecules and duckbill platypi, <laughs> none of that's in the Bible. It's because the Bible is not intended to be a, a comprehensive scientific text about everything that exists. Some of them are a little, you know, have to take a little more time to reply to. the. Uh, some folks uh, think that if somehow uh, other races existed that were made in the image of God, intelligent and free-willed, uh, with, even with immortal spirits, that that would somehow diminish God's special relationship to the earth. He has a special relationship to humankind. So somehow that would diminish it. We're not you know, unique anymore. But, you know, my response to that is uh, I go back to a principle that St. Augustine once, once stated, which I love. He said that God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. And, and that's a principle that, that every parent with more than one child can understand immediately. You know, I have a couple of kids. I have six grandkids. You have a child, you love them with all your heart. You think, how could I possibly love them more? And then another child comes along and you love them with all your heart. <laughs> you say, how could I possibly love them more? The love doesn't get divided or diminished. It gets multiplied. And when you are love itself, God himself is love, then of course he doesn't have, uh, have to divide up his love. It would not diminish his love, our special status, because he would love each each race as if there were only one of them. Absolutely. Dr. Paul Thigpen joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Let's get into it a little bit because a couple of people out there, they might be saying, these three guys are talking about UFOs. But, you know, you're talking from your own experience and you've written a book, book on it, not about particularly UFOs, but about the Catholic faith um, and, and answering this question. But let's let me give you a um, kind of like a compound question. One is what what what, what would you define? as a UFO, okay, as opposed to some 1950s movie with some flying saucer and everybody just, you know, crouching down in a bunker somewhere, um, you know, like, what is it, what will we say is a UFO? And what are some of the recent developments um, or disclosures, perhaps you alluded to them a bit earlier, uh, from the government, particularly from the Defense Department? Yes, great question. So <clears throat> UFO is a you know, term kind of came into uh, prominence just before my my the time I was born uh, stands for unidentified flying objects. So you have to keep in mind that doesn't people often go from that directly to alien, you know, from another planet. Not necessarily. It just means that it's unidentified. And the folks who do study these things and the government has, though they've denied it until recently, um, and some scientists and others will admit, you know, there are a lot of things that are unidentified when we saw see them in the air turn out to have a prosaic and everyday explanation, uh, but but some of them don't. Uh, 
just recently, the government's prompting people have begun to use UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, uh, as a broader term, uh, because they, the kind of things they often do doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, fit the pattern of flying. They may hover, they may appear, disappear, do all kinds of things. But we have to keep in mind, even that term is is not really broad enough because many of the things that are being seen that can't be identified can't be explained by any um, natural or even you know human technology, natural phenomena or human technology, are doing things like going into the water and coming out of the water, coming from space through the air down into water, what we call transmedium. Um, so there's even more than just aerial phenomena. There, I think everyone's still struggling to try to find a term to, to cover it all. But keep in mind, we're saying unidentified, that means some of them will be eventually identified, probably figured out. But as the government, again, itself has finally admitted, there are, there's a big chunk of those left over that haven't been identified. So <clears throat> what, what's been going on with the government uh, disclosure? The As a result, um, kind of prompted by some uh, articles in the, in the New York Times by folks, I won't exactly call them whistleblowers, but who are former government officials who are willing to come out and say as much as they could uh, that would not break their non-disclosure agreements, begin to say, yeah, there's stuff out there and, and the government needs to come clean about it. Um, finally, and back in May, it was May 17th, the um, Congress had a hearing, the, the, the House, uh, several committees, uh, with a couple of representatives appointed by the Pentagon to, to talk about UFOs. It was the first time in half a century that that was actually a subject of a congressional hearing. Didn't get very far. I didn't expect it to uh, the two people put up there were, were certainly not um, the folks I would have chosen to represent. They kept saying, well, we don't know about that. But everybody who knows anything about this knows a lot about it. But what I do know is that folks working behind the scenes are saying, yep, the, the, there will be more hearings. Um, and in fact, there's been legislation passed now in which Congress is saying, because Congress is supposed to have had oversight of what the Pentagon knows about this for forever, and it's been hidden from them probably breaking, almost certainly breaking laws in doing so. So Congress has now got very specific language as a part of the National uh, Defense Authorization Act for the year that says, no, you're going to come clean about this stuff. You're going to tell us about everything that goes all the way back to 1947. We now have a, <clears throat> a channel by which people who are in the military who experience these things can report it without any threat of, um, of punishment. Uh, by the military, because that's been going on for 75 years. If you try to report it, they they say you're going to lose your career. You better shut up uh, or worse. And um, so it's it's happening. And uh, right now, January 6th hearings, all kinds of things have kind of taken the national attention. Without putting a date on it, I, I think easily by early you know, next year, we'll have the hearings and we'll be hearing a whole lot more. Okay. Thank you for that, Dr. Paul Thigpen. Joe Racinello, we have a few minutes before the break. Was that why Merrick Garland went into Trump's basement, Doc? I, I... <laughs> was it? I think it was. He's got the fun. files in the basement at Mar-a-Lago. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's got the Roswell Nothing. files down there. You know what? Nothing at this point would surprise that, neither. Me. That's why I ask. I ask it I'll seriously. Be, I'll, but I'll be honest with you guys. I mean, <laughs> Dr. Thigpen, you, you mentioned... Um, you know, New York Times, um, a guy who Joe and I give a lot of credibility to, okay, who's very, very popular. Uh, Tucker Carlson's been talking about this sure. in, on primetime 
primetime cable news. Now, this is not some obscure website, okay, talking about UFOs or evangelical Christian websites that say, you know, that, yeah, we see them too, but they're angels and demons or, or that, you know, Tucker Carlson's got a lot of credibility. And by all accounts, he seems to be a pretty level-headed guy. This is not pie in the sky. I mean, I mean, I don't think. Oh, well, just, yeah, just was it last week, maybe the week before uh, Tucker was interviewing Dr. Gary Nolan, who is <clears throat> a remarkable man. He's a PhD and, and kind of world-renowned a scientist in several fields. He, I've, I've heard, uh, haven't seen it, you know, uh, verified that he's been nominated for a Nobel Prize. I wouldn't be surprised. He is uh, on the faculty at Stanford. Uh, has through his work actually created all kinds of these great companies and sold them. He's he's just a brilliant man in so many ways. And <clears throat> he was telling Tucker, and, and he's told others before how one day the CIA agents showed up at his office and said, "We want to talk to you." about because of the kind of work you've done we've been told you're the guy to talk to about um examining people who have been injured by close contact with ufos and he thought they were joking he said what is this the movie is this candid camera what is, what is this and then they started laying out the photographs and the information and he realized no they're serious and um so he talks openly about it and and uh, dr nolan has um he's been saying a lot lately about the same kind of thing i'm saying that that he has, you know, that he knows that the, the hearings are coming. He knows the whistleblowers, um, that we're not just talking. And this was in the New York Times piece, you know, years ago. Um, we're not just talking about people seeing things in the sky. We're talking about either the government or private industry, aerospace industry, that the government has handed it off to, the Pentagon, having retrieved materials from crashed UFOs including biological materials. Let that sink in. He's not the first to say that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, find, I find it interesting. I am glad, because we're, we're going to be coming up on a break in a minute. I, I'm glad you, you brought up. If um, it's true, what, folks, I mean, when that finally comes out, if you're a faithful Christian, ahead, how does this fit into my faith? You know, I was say, so I'm just going to be asking, how does this fit into my faith? And that's why yeah, I read the book. Just to remind everybody out there is extraterrestrial intelligence and the Catholic faith. Are we alone in the universe with God and angels? The author is Dr. Paul Thigpen, PhD, and the book is out at Tan Books. Uh, just for a minute, um, Dr. Thigpen, um, atheists love to say, soon as we find an extraterrestrial, Christianity, dead. No need, no need to believe in it. Okay. Now you alluded to some of that argument earlier so let's take a let's take the the minute before the break just like just hone in on that a little bit and why that's just flat out catholics have nothing to worry about well the two groups atheists and then some kind of what we might call the new age you know groups that tend to say this would disprove your faith uh for the atheist again i, I mentioned some of the arguments not in the bible <laughs> you know we can deal, deal with that easily enough um it would show that you don't have a special relationship to god well no it doesn't doesn't show that at all. So there are others that I talk about in the book, but but the arguments um, just don't work. It basically shows that they misunderstand the Christian faith, which is not surprising for an atheist. But then you have others who you know would say, oh yeah, they, they are out there and they're our space brothers, and they're coming here to tell us the true religion because all religions on earth are wrong. Um, you have some folks that's been going on for a couple of centuries at least as well. And uh, and you actually do have some folks, we could get into this later, claiming that they've been abducted by aliens and that they are trying to teach us the true religion. 
that sounds a lot like other things we've heard in church history was being showing up. But um, so anyway, in both cases, uh, yeah, I can't do it in a soundbite, of course, but in the book, just lay all that out. Here are their objections, and here's how I think we can. All respond. right, and we're gonna we're gonna take a break for a minute. Dr. Paul Thigpen is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Priscilla, Joe Rosinello. We're in the breach. We're discussing Dr. Thigpen's new book, Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. Uh, Doc uh, Tan Books uh, is the publisher. Where could folks uh, go out? Uh, what are the different places where they can buy the book? Yeah, TanBooks.com is their website. Easy to get it there. And I encourage folks if you've got a local Catholic bookstore. Yeah, patronize them. Go go down there and buy it. Absolutely. And that's what we always try to emphasize, Dr. Big Ben, on this show, is that we need to support our publishers, our bookstores, our authors, like Dr. Paul <laughs> Big Ben, because uh, they're writing fascinating books like this one. So let's take a quick break here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Uh, we're just going to come back in a minute, and we're going to continue this fascinating conversation. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So... Let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosinolo. We are way in the breach with Dr. Paul Thigpen, Ph.D. He's written a new book, Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. Are we alone in the universe with God and angels? Please go out and buy the book at tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com or your local Catholic bookstore. Joe, this is a great conversation. I'm just going to hand it right over to you. Paul, you know, you talk about like, you know, there's a lot of history here. Let's walk us through about 100 years. You mentioned 1947 on the other side of the break. I think that'll like really add a lot of validity to this, that this is not just a recent phenomenon. Um, Basically, there's documented research. One could access it. We know that you did. Could you kind of walk us through some of it? Sure. So, uh, I mean, as I mentioned, the conversation itself goes back to the ancient Greeks, where people kind of speculating about it. And we actually have records of um, what today we would call UFOs and, and things like, you know, Roman writers talking about there's a battlefield Roman, with Romans involved uh, in, in war. And all of a sudden, these flying shields show up in the sky and start <laughs> taking part in the battle. Uh, so you've got things you have to wonder about, even from that angle. And things that are sometimes recorded in pictographs and you know in stone, but um, in general, the 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 consensus has been from I would say almost all the best minds of Western civilization that yeah there could be sure and and uh, by the time you get in <clears throat> get to hundred years ago, it was pretty much the consensus you might say among the intelligentsia anyway in, in Western culture. Most of our our listeners probably know about Saint John Newman who was a convert to the Catholic faith from, from the Anglican church and brilliant man wrote some wonderful stuff, wrote beautiful hymns. But anyway, he once made the comment uh, that during his time, which have been toward the end of the 1800s, that everybody was so, excuse me, so convinced that it existed that if you just suggested, well, maybe it doesn't, they thought it was blasphemy. <laughs> and he meant that in a general term, but he just was trying to say how, make a point about how it was basically the agreement. Everybody said, of course there is. Um, so what happened to change that? You begin to get a few things uh, toward the end of, uh, of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s with uh, Darwin's evolutionary theory. Some people kind of coming in there and saying, well, wait a minute, you know, we, so many things had to come together for life on earth to develop into intelligent life. Like we have, maybe it hasn't happened anywhere else because maybe we're unique that way. That was one element. Um, 
others began to kind of question it for different reasons. But the main thing that happened, and I think we need, we really need to realize this, um, is that starting with World War II, we began to have, a, <clears throat> there was a phenomenon called the Foo Fighters. They nicknamed the Foo Fighters. These were military pilots on both sides of World War II, both the Axis and the Allied pilots, who began to see these bright lights showing up, flying around them, with them, making all kinds of maneuvers they couldn't understand. And uh, at the beginning, they both sides kind of assumed this must be some advanced technology of the other side. But then they get back and find out, no, it's not ours. It's not theirs. We don't know what it is. Soon after that, starting with the, the Roswell event in 1947, but even some others before Roswell then, uh, the UFOs began showing up. And um, we now know through documents that have been obtained through the Freedom of Information Act that the, the government made, uh, Pentagon, CIA, other powers that be, uh, made a, a very strong decision uh, back during that time, 50s and over into the 60s, that they needed to keep anything secret that had to do with unidentified flying objects. It was the height of the Cold War. They thought um, that maybe the Russians would somehow take advantage of this. For instance, if we had a what they call UFO flap where a bunch show up, they showed up over Los Angeles one time, and they actually had jets and firing at the things. They showed up over Washington, D.C. one time, and they sent jets after them. It was on the radar. Um, and they were so, – so the Pentagon was worried that uh, if something like that happened and people were interested in it and preoccupied with it and they were calling in to say, I see these things, that the Soviets would take advantage of that and actually have a real attack and confuse the whole issue. The lines would all be full because everybody's talking about UFOs. Um, that's just one example. But anyway, the decision was made. We have got to put the lid on this. And not only that, we have got to uh, influence the popular culture into thinking this is crazy, this is silly, dismiss this, don't even talk about it. Now, we know this, this we have documents, you know, government documents saying this. It's not just a conspiracy theory and that they would influence the media to do so. And they did. They were very successful. So starting with that time on, uh, though you have had, you know, some people just say, no, this stuff is real. The the government stance has been, nope, nothing here to see, and we're not investigating it, uh, and and the media has taken the same attitude. But that's, again, as I said, begun to change. So it, at least for the last 75, 80 years, we've had the norm, uh, government influence norm, that it's all crazy and silly. And that's one of the reasons why I had such a long historical section of the book. Because I had people saying to me when I was writing, they said, what are you writing about, Paul? And I'd say, uh, well, actually about extraterrestrial intelligence of the Catholic faith. And they, someone would just stare at me blankly and say, why would you write about that? You, you need a tinfoil hat. We need to understand that we've been manipulated uh, for most of the last 2,000, 2,500 years. The best. So um, that's kind of what's happened you, you even had, as, as late as the 60s, uh, I can't remember who the scholar was, but some scholar wrote about these things, said that um, under the influence of the government, it was an academic world, it was academic suicide, and was until recently, to even show an interest in these things and in this subject. And then he said, but then it, the whole thing began to turn, finally. And people began to, they went from saying, oh, no, there can't be life anywhere else, to people saying, no, I think life is a cosmic imperative. It's probably almost everywhere <laughs> mm. um so maybe that's more than you wanted or, or no no it's good i was gonna actually a follow-up what is the roswell <laughs> event 
Could you could could you elaborate on that? Oh wow, yeah, 1947. Um, there was an incident in which a, a rancher, uh, you know, claims that he uh, discovered basically a, a, a craft, the crash remains of a craft that did not look human <laughs> made uh, on his ranch, reported it to uh, the Air Force local base. Um, officers, people were sent out to examine it. And the initial declaration made by the Air Force officer in charge said, yeah, this is a UFO that's crashed. It's in the papers. It went all over the world. Radio stations, people were calling that little town to <laughs> say, tell us more what's going on. Within 24 hours, the government changed the story. They got changed the story. Said, no, no, no. Actually, it was just a weather balloon. And here are the remains of it. And um, the guy that had examined it, who's, you know, obviously would have known better than to mistake a weather balloon for this kind of thing. Um, Jesse Martel, they have a picture of him kind of showing the remains of it. And he's got this deer in the headlights look as if to say, I can't believe I'm having to do this. Anyway, um, and then later on, the government changed its story again and said, no, actually, it was this other program we had, secret program. Um, but there are you know, entire books that have been written about that incident where you have lots and lots of witnesses who say that's not true. Mm -hmm. And Martel himself, for the end of his life, came out and said, I'm not going to die. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not going to die with this lie uh, out there. It, it was real. It was real. And the government told me I had to, had to lie about it. Uh, the Pentagon told me. So um, that was not the only one to happen that year. There was a, another one, Trinity, in Mexico, uh, and others. But it was soon after that that Kenneth Arnold, uh, a pilot uh, up at flying in Washington State, saw a, a series of disc-shaped objects. He said they looked like saucers kind of skipping across the water and that's where the term flying saucer finally began with a reporter there. And then after that, like I said, we had some big flaps in DC and Washington, uh, Washington DC and Los Angeles and other places. Um, that was a pretty big event. So there, you know, I have uh, one, one man, uh, Bryce Zabel, who's uh, is studying this and, and uh, done, done lots of writing about it, but he jokingly refers to as well as the, the original sin and the government's cover cover up <laughs> that um, starting with Roswell, the cover up there has basically set the tone for everything else and has bled into the um, uh, the, pro the problem that we have now. What's what, interesting what, what, way to describe what, what, what's funny or, or frightening, depending on how you look at it, is if, as if Joe Resinello or myself was to get a knock on the door from a bunch of men in black, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> Joe, would, Joe would sick his kids on them. <laughs> um, and, and then they go running for the hills. Uh, but at least it's out there, so we probably won't get in too much trouble. Paul Thigpen, you, um, you mentioned earlier, and let me just refresh everybody here who might be just joining us at the front line with Joe. And Joe, you're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, and we have Dr. Paul Thigpen. We are discussing extraterrestrial intelligence and the Catholic faith. Are we alone in the universe with God and angels? That's his recent book. That is out from Tam Books. So you mentioned this this uh, broad swath of of uh, of uh, of thought over the over the historic, you know, uh, in history, like all the great thinkers. Uh, Plato, Chrysostom, Descartes, Newton, Benjamin Franklin. C.S. Lewis had something to uh, say about that. Let's take a few minutes. Let's, because uh, you know, again, as Catholics, I mean, I remember part of my journey. I never left the church, but I certainly wasn't practicing. But when I started to take it seriously, you know, like many people, I read *Mere Christianity*. I read *The Abolition of Man*, uh, and the dude just makes too much 
darn sense. So I'm really interested in, and I'm sure our audience is interested. So what did C.S. Lewis have to say about this? Yeah, he was amazing. He was, he played a part in my conversion from atheism. And it was always a sad thing to me. He came so close to Catholic faith. He was, you could say high Anglican. Um, his, his personal assistant claims that on his deathbed, he talked about, you know, I should, should have become Catholic. It's hard to, to verify that. But anyway, um, Lewis was one of the few Christian writers to write from a Christian perspective about this subject um, during the time, like the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, when the quietness had been put on it, so, so to speak. Um, most theologians were afraid to talk about it because of the way the government had influenced the culture. Um, but being, you know, the kind of man he is, he was, you know, yeah, I'm not worried about that. He was, he was British, but uh, so it's not like he had to deal with the American culture so much. But he wrote, and, and he wasn't, he wasn't trained as a theologian. That's the amazing thing. He was brilliant. He was very wide, widely read. As a convert himself, he knew his faith deeply. He knew the church fathers. He knew Aquinas. He knew, you know, all the guys. Um, and he had a great, <clears throat> rich imagination, which I think is really important for this, where he didn't, he thought outside the box. And um, <clears throat> so Lewis both did some nonfiction essays about it, most, most importantly, one called Religion and Rocketry, but another one was called The Seeing Eye. And then he wrote fiction to kind of illustrate the ideas that he brought up in his nonfiction, which I, I love. The, the... <clears throat> what Lewis did for me in thinking about the subject long, long ago when I read his fiction was to, to kind of open up the possibilities to, to realize that given the general framework of the Christian faith and even now with, you know, more complete framework for me of the Catholic Christian faith, that, <clears throat> that there's all kinds of room for possibilities out there that, uh, you start asking, okay, just let's just say they're out there. What would, what what might be the way I like to describe it is their, their spiritual and their moral status. First of all, what do I mean by that? By spiritual status, I mean what is their relationship to God? The one thing we do know from our faith is that they are all created by God and they're all loved by God. They're all sustained by God. He's their Lord, so that much we know. But are they in friendship with God? Do they know about God? Do they? Um, uh, then to get into the moral status, have any of them fallen the way we have, or have they remained unfallen like we wish Adam and Eve had? Um, and then that opens up different possibilities. So first of all, do, do they know God? Are they made in the image of God as we are? Not talking physically, but they have uh, a rational intellect, a mind. They have a free will. And then I would say also an important part of that, that they have immortal spirits, that the soul that animates their body is an immortal spirit that will never die. Uh, did God create them as he did us for the beatific vision, to the vision of perfect happiness with God in heaven for eternity? Is it possible that he would create a race that he only made for this life, that that uh, they would live a good life here and then they would die and, you know, and then their souls go away like, like uh, animal souls below us? Is that a possibility? So, but if they are made in the image of God, then have they fallen or not? If they... Uh, have fallen, then you have all kinds of possibilities. Uh, would God want redemption for them, or would redemption even be possible for them? Some people would say, well, God's love, so of course redemption is possible. But think about the angels, you know, uh, think about the demons. Uh, maybe redemption was possible, and they fell, and they're like the demons, and they can't they can't repent now. Uh, that, was, that was a scary prospect Lewis raised. He said, what if there were a species out there that are basically like the demons? You can't reform them 
they're, they can't be saved, but they have bodies too, along with <laughs> their souls. Think of running into that, you know, that cruise. Um, what if, uh, if they're fallen, could God, what kind of plan of redemption would he have for them? How would he do it? St. Thomas Aquinas said that, you know, God's plan here, as wonderful it was, it wasn't the only way God could have redeemed us. He's God. He could come up with other ways. He could apply that principle out there. He could have done it other ways for them. Would, what's their relationship to Christ? Would what Christ has done on our planet, his incarnation, his passion, death, resurrection, all that, that has opened the doors of salvation for us, would it also be for them in some way in a kind of ripple effect? Uh, or would he have other plans for them? Could he even have other incarnations? Dr. Thick, Aquinas, yes. A quick question. Could you could you not apply the principle of invincible ignorance in the same way we do with people, let's say, who had never heard the gospel in, in on this planet, okay? Um, some island somewhere in the Pacific. I mean, the missionaries, Hawaii was comes to mind. These people had never heard of Christ. The church has a teaching on invincible ignorance. So does Washington, D.C., Yes, yes. That's another that's another conversation. <laughs> but Dr. Bolton, uh, am I wrong in that? Could we could we apply the principle of invincible ignorance? See, I think I think we can. I mean, a lot of what the, my book does is to say here are the possibilities. Very few of them do I rule out uh, because of what I know about our faith and what we know of our God. But that could be a possibility, just as you have folks who lived and died in the, the new world before the gospel ever got there, and yet God has you know his his plans for them could be that with with another race, but but in that case, if and when we encounter them and can contact them and actually have conversations with them, yeah, we need to preach the gospel. But then there are other you know points to press the other way. One of the things I found is um, just looking at the subject. If you look at it deeply, really presses you to look more deeply into our faith and to understand it even better. Um, I've, I found myself looking at some of the ancient heresies among the church fathers that they were ha having to deal with. And one of them was the notion that it was the Apollinarian heresy, that um, Apollinarius proposed that in the incarnation, the, the eternal divine word, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, takes on himself human nature, but not a complete human nature. That he takes on a body and what we would call the lower soul, the, the part of the soul that keeps the body alive. But that the upper part of the soul, the higher, the intellect and will was not human. It was replaced by the divine nature so that Christ was not fully human. And the church, you know, the final response to that had to be, no, that, that's not true. That uh, under the principle, what was not assumed in the sense of what was not taken of our nature to join to the divine nature was not healed, was not saved, was not redeemed. So that. The entire human nature had to be joined to God's own divine nature for it to receive that healing power and that redemption. And to say that, uh, so if you were to say, if, if Apollonaris is right, that the mind of Christ was really just God and not not human, then that means our minds aren't, haven't been redeemed. And we know that our minds need to be redeemed and our memories and our imaginations. So take that principle here. Um, if you had a race out there that was so very different in its nature, from ours, then for God to have joined our nature to his, to heal it, would it heal a nature very so very different? Maybe, maybe it could, maybe it could. But I'm just raising that as a possibility of why my God might choose to do it a different way for them. Why uh, the incarnation here, I mean, just at a practical level, how, how could a, you know, think about wonderful devotionality, like the devotion to the sacred heart, 
how would you understand or apply that if you're an alien with a body that didn't have a heart? <laughs> right, right. I didn't think that way. So uh, just something to think about. And, and most of the book is just saying, here are the possibilities. We won't know unless and until we finally encounter a race that we can talk with. You know, what would make, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. You know what would make me laugh, like like really, really laugh, is like we get a visit and then we finally have this encounter that you just you just spoke about. And as and, and soon as we figure out how we communicate with, yeah. with, these, with these intelligent beings, the first question they ask is, hey, do you guys know Jesus? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I've often thought, you know, that if, if we had, if somebody asked me, if you had that encounter and you could talk, what would be the first question? And I would start, you know, really basic. I would say, without trying to put any idea in their minds, just say, okay, everything that is, how did it come to be? Right. Where did everything come from? Where did you come from? Where did we come from? And why are we here? And then that gets right at the heart. You know, they could say, we don't know. They say, oh, we just happened. Or they could say, oh, yeah, there's, and then they have some name. You know that he created everything, and he said, "Oh, so you you're talking about God?" And you know that would be the place to start. Well, the thing is, Doctor Thigpen joining us here at the frontline <laughs> with Joe and Joe. Listen, um, and then we we have a few minutes left. I want to hand it back over to Joe. But the thing is, this um, you're talking about metaphysical questions, okay? Well, metaphysics applies on the other side of the universe, and logic yes. applies on the other side of the universe the same way it applies here. If they are of a superior intelligence or the same intelligence, they're just more, much more technologically advanced, okay, uh, where they can come and visit us. They would have to have had to have asked themselves the same question. Yes. Why yes. are we here? If you're intelligent, you look at the universe and understand it's intelligible, and then it prompts all these metaphysical questions. Yes, yes. So, exactly. Anyway, so that'd be a place to start, right? (laughs) Great place to start. It's like, I would say, I would say to an extraterrestrial, if you want, again, once you establish the lines of communication, it's like, hey, where do we all come from? What do you guys think? You know, and you're going to get the questions of God that you just because they might, again, be more advanced doesn't mean they can escape like any of us. You can't escape these questions. Maybe Richard Dawkins thinks you can, but he's just a hard-headed atheist. Joe Restinello, where do you want to go in the last few minutes we have left? Well, first, I, I, I want to make a, uh, a comment, which is a compliment, and then lead to a question. I, I, I applaud you for this book, because to be honest with you, um, I knew of you uh, when when we got this interview from Tan, and, and you're a serious writer, <laughs> to be honest with you, and you stretched yourself. Like, when I mean by stretch yourself, you went in a place that a lot of people wouldn't go, and I think that's important. It's important to do. We we can't just be comfortable. Christ was not about being comfortable. You know, as his disciples were disciples, we follow God. We can't always be that way. Like, we have to think about things and question things and talk about things because questions lead to truth. And I applaud you for this. Honest to God. I think it's great. Um, and I think people have to think out of the box and ask questions. There's no sin in that. And frankly, I think this book will answer a lot of questions, and I encourage all our listeners to buy it. With that said, what are some saints? Uh, you know, we have a rich history in the church. What have they said about this? I know that you mentioned, uh, or to be honest with you, in my research, John Christendom had said something about this. Were there some other saints that have commented on this in their writings or what they stated? Well, first of all, just to, you know, thinking about whether the question is important or not, you have folks like St. John Chrysostom, yeah, you mentioned, saying, uh, just as people are asked about, could there be other worlds and presumably inhabited worlds? And he says, just as in your mind, you can think of other worlds, it's even easier, not just for God to think of them, but to make them. 
you know, that's that's okay for God's power. Now, he thought at that time, given the philosophy of the day, that probably this was the only one, the only universe. But um, then you have uh, folks like, you know, St. Saint, Saint Anselm saying, this is a wonderful subject to talk about. It's a marvelous subject. Of course, we should be talking about this. So that's important to see. You have, but if you get more specific, you know, people who are at the place where they're already thinking, yeah, the, the things exist. <clears throat> um, St. Padre Pio is the one I like to quote most. Amazing. Uh, he There was a, a conversation. Um, I guess it was a reporter, maybe just a, someone asking questions that was recorded. It's in the records of, of the Capuchin Order, um, where they ask him, how about if I read this to you really quickly? Sure. That was in the book. Okay. Following dialogue is documented and officially published by the Capuchin Order. Question. Father Pio, some claim that there are creatures of God on other planets, too. Answer. This is Father, Father Pio. What else? Do you think they don't exist and that God's omnipotence is limited to this small planet Earth? What else? Do you think there are no other beings who love the Lord? Then the questioner, Father, I think the Earth is nothing compared to other planets and stars. Father Pio, exactly yes. And we earthlings are nothing too. The Lord certainly did not limit his glory to this small Earth. And other planets, other beings exist who did not sin and fall as we did. That's pretty amazing. Especially you come from Padre Pio, because we know that um, he could have just been stating an opinion, though he's very firm about it. Um, but what we do know about Padre Pio is, th is that God revealed all kinds of things to him that was hidden to the rest of us. He could read souls. He often knew what was happening at remote distances. Um, all kinds of things were revealed to him. So I'm not claiming that God revealed this to him, but he sure sounded confident about it. You have to wonder, in his case, was it just that this is something he was personally, you know, firm about or had God actually revealed it to him? I don't know. We also have St. John Paul II, who uh, a, a girl in, a, in one of his public audiences in Rome, uh, church in Rome. Uh, she, when the question time, she asked, well, a Holy Father, what about aliens? And he could have answered, well, we don't know. He could have answered, um, no, they can't exist according to our faith. He could have answered, if they exist, then so-and-so. But what he said was very simple. He said, they're God's children too. So keep that in mind. He wasn't, he wasn't setting up any of those caveats. He just said, yeah, they're God's children too. Sure seems to be saying that they're real and that they're God's yeah. kids. Dr. Paul Thigpen, unfortunately, we have a time limit, which, which is the one bummer about being on the radio. <laughs> Um, and this current book that you've written uh, out from TAM Books is Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith, Are We Alone in the Universe with God and Angels? Uh, give us about a minute or a minute and a half, Dr. Thigpen. What do you got on the horizon? What do you got going on? What are you working on right now? And where could people f uh, follow more of what you're doing? Oh, great. Okay. The uh, TAM has a book that's been out for some years called The Life of, of Mary as Seen by the Mystics. And it's a wonderful book that takes passages from uh, a half a dozen mystics who had private revelations of Our Lady's life and, and wove it together into a single narrative with, of course, the you know disclaimer that uh, private revelation claims can't be put on the same level as gospel, as the gospel or even science and history. Uh, I like to speak of more as just kind of a sacred drama uh, that, that teaches spiritual truth. So uh, folks like Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich and Maria de Agreda and, and others um, so Tan asked me to do the same thing for St. Joseph. So the next book I have coming out uh, in November or maybe earlier 
is called The Life of St. Joseph is Seen by the Mystics. So I have uh, a, a set then of, of uh, mystics that, you know, respected by the church. They're obviously everything they said wasn't, hasn't been given explicit approval, but took portions of those and wove it into one narrative telling the life of Joseph um, with an introduction again saying, uh, don't take it as gospel, don't take it as, as history, take it as devotional work. And it's to me just very powerful it was to have the experience of, of reading it, of reading the materials and writing the book. Absolutely. Th thank you for that, Dr. Big Ben. And for everybody out there, we need to we need to dig deep into our faith. We need to know what our Catholic authors and thinkers are writing about. Uh, go out and buy the book on uh, this new book from Dr. Thigpen. Again, you can buy it at Tam Books and look into all his books. He's written over, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Thigpen, 60 books. All right. That's so right. I'm sure you got a lot to say. Joe and I say on the show all the time, Dr. Thigpen, we do these shows to inform, to educate uh, our audience, but also Joe and I receive an education when we speak to someone like you. We want to thank you so much for joining us, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. We hope to have you back soon, but thank you very much. Yeah, we got to talk about St. Joseph. That's yeah. all right. Well, thank you for the invitation. God bless you and all your listeners. Thank you very much, and thank you all out there for joining us here on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the uh, Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so you have access to all of our station's content. Um, and finally, please, if you like what Joe and I do, the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share. Do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.